Welcome to The Hot Seat, a sheer therapy podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Pam, and I'll be joining you every week alongside my girls, Denise and Cousin Dan. Every episode, we'll be having real conversations, including the good, the bad, and yes, even the ugly. Although we are three women in different stages of our lives, one single, one married, and one divorced, we can still share our experiences together with love, faith, and a glass of wine in hand, of course. We know you're going to enjoy listening in and riding along this journey we call life with us together. Listen in as we talk, as we get real, and as we get raw. Here we are. Sheer Therapy. Welcome back to another episode of The Hot Seat by Sheer Therapy. Today, we're going to get a little bit hot and a little bit heavier on a topic of going through a loss. So I'm not sure how many listeners know us, but myself, Pam, here with uh, Denise and Dan. Um, Denise, Danielle and I actually have gone through a loss, which is funny because as cousins, I think it was two years apart, we both lost our high school sweethearts to tragic accidents. And we're going to talk to you on this episode about basically how those events can really really dictate like the person or not even dictate, but it can contribute to who the person you end up being is and like how you are, how you view life, some poor decisions you could have made. Um, and just that trauma, that trauma sticks with you and becomes triggers. There's triggers in the future. So uh, we're going to give you a little backstory of both of our situations. And um, Denise is going to kind of guide us through that. Yeah. So basically I remember your loss with um, Alex, Pam, and, and I remember the situation and how it happened. But, um, you know, I wasn't really familiar with Dan's because I guess at the time we weren't, I don't think, I'm not sure, I don't even remember if we had already met. But Dan, why don't you like walk us through the story and just tell us a little bit about the situation? Sure, yeah. So um, Wayne was my high school sweetheart so he was my first boyfriend and um i was with him for pretty much most of my high school years um i actually met him at the bus stop at the mall when i was with pam one day um i still have the receipt he gave his uh number to me on it was um uh burger king receipt and uh hanging out at the bus stop like that was the biggest hangout the bus the square one bus stop yes and the burger king hangout yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, I met him there and then, um, I didn't give him my number. He gave me his. And then, um, I had never dealt with boys before because it, I, I didn't really deal with boys till I started high school. So then all of a sudden, like he picked me up, he gave me his number and then it took me a week to call him every day. I'd stand by the phone. This is when like, we didn't have cell phones. Like I'd get the house phone and then I'd dial and then I'd hang up. Um, so like a week later I called him and he answered and I was like, it's a girl from the bus stop. And then literally we were inseparable from there. Um, and then, um, one night, uh, he was finishing work and he was supposed to come to my house and he called me from work and he's like, there's a party going on downtown. 
do you want to go? And um, at that point, I was like almost 18. So I was old enough to just tell my parents, like, I'm going out with Wayne. Uh, We're going to a party. But that night, my mom was like, "Um, you know what? There's been so many shootings and stuff going on. Why don't you just tell him to come here and just hang out at home? So this was in the 90s, late 90s, when like there was so much gun violence going on in the city. People were always getting shot and stuff like that. Um, And so um, I told him to come over and he said, okay, my my cousin's going to drop me off and I'll be there in in a couple hours. So then uh, the night kept passing and passing and passing and uh, he didn't show up. And so I was like, oh. He, where is he? And obviously as a young girl, you default to like, he's cheating. He's with another girl. And then the night just kept ticking and um, pagers were a thing back then. Like he wouldn't answer my page. His mom's like, I don't know where he is either. I thought he was with you. Um, And then just like the whole night passed, no word from him. And this was an unusual pattern because he was a very reliable boyfriend. Like never had done this to me in all the years we were together. Like just, he was so reliable and predictable that I knew something was totally off, but I just defaulted to he's with another girl. Um, and so he wasn't answering my pages and, and, and nothing like that. His mom didn't know where he was. And then um, literally the next morning um, I woke up and I was just so pissed off and I just kept calling his mom. I'm like, we're like, this is not like him. And she was a bit worried too. Cause she's like, yeah, like if he's not with you, like where, where, where could he be? So then, um, oddly enough, this is also when the Sunday sun was like the newspaper every Sunday that you got at your house. I was having breakfast with my family and the front page was literally a body on the sidewalk. Um, and right away I saw the sneakers and I, and I fell to the floor and, um, I was like, no, like, like just all I saw were the sneakers. And like, I immediately, like, I just felt like I wasn't even like real. So, um, I called his mom again and it was weird because I, the minute I called her after I saw the paper, she hadn't seen the paper. Uh, she's like, the police are at the house. Can you come over? So I just like fell on the floor. It took me a few hours to get it together. I was in complete shock. And then my friend uh, Anna came to get me and go with me to his mom's house. And that's when they confirmed that he had been shot. So um, I think he thought he was going to sneak to the party for a quick hour before he came over. And so his uncle or cousin um, dropped him off at the party And then I guess his plan was to go for an hour, then come see me, but he didn't make it. He was accidentally, I don't even know how to use the term accidentally shot in the head, but he was shot while um, at the club um, by mistake. It wasn't even like a target or anything like that. Um, And so, so, yeah, that was the beginning. He was just caught up in the middle of it. Yeah, he was just caught up in the middle of it. And like, it's just odd because it's such a shock to the body. Like bystander. Yeah. And like, it's, it's a shock to the body. Cause like you, it already hurts when you lose someone that you're expecting to lose. Like if someone's sick or, and stuff like that, but like, you never expect like that to happen. It's like, I watch this on TV. Like you don't think you're going to know someone who was like shot in the head at such a young age. Mm-hmm. And it, it just pissed me off too, because it's like, so he was such a good person. Even if he wasn't going to be my boyfriend, we were like best friends. Like he was my best friend. And you always think to yourself, why do good people, why does this shit happen? There's no explanation. I just had to 
accept it, which I, I haven't still accepted it, but I just, I don't know. It makes you question everything about life. Mm-hmm. And um, but I think, I think yeah. the traumatizing part for you is that, you know, like what really stood out to me listening to your story is the fact that not only were you of an age where it, honestly, it's not normal. Like when you're 15, 16 years old, it's, it's not normal to experience death. Like I, I mean, you know, it's, you kind of expect it to happen where it's like, okay, everybody has grown up and they're much older and the natural circumstances of life occur. But what makes it even more traumatizing is the fact that you're sitting at a breakfast table and you look at the front news of the paper Mm -hmm. and that's how you're greeted with the, the confirmation of your, your boyfriend's death. Yeah. Like Like, that would be traumatizing for anybody. That would be gut wrenching. So it's like, how do you, how do you cope from that? How do you recover from that? Mm-hmm. What did you do to recover? Um, so I actually didn't recover right away. <laughs> um, I literally, they had to push me through the end of high school. So he had, so I was with him from like, I was 14 or 15. And then I was like 18 when he passed away. So it was like graduation. Mm-hmm. Um, my school just pushed me through to graduate because I actually didn't go to school for months after. Um, and I couldn't even get out of bed, basically. Um, my friends would come by to check on me or, and stuff like that. But I became so numb and I felt like, what's the point of life? Here today, gone tomorrow. People invest so much into life. They commit to so much. What's the point? And what's the point on attaching to anybody? We're so temporary. And I don't say this morbidly, like... Life is long. I I do believe like life is long. I don't believe life is short. Like we do have, you know, longevity, but also we're temporary. Like that's the reality. And so for many years, it affected me. And like, I don't want to attach to people because I am attaching to someone who's so temporary. Like Mm -hmm. I'm going to build that bond again. And then they're going to, they're going to die. I don't know. So are you saying that due to that past circumstance, it has affected you now presently in your adulthood in terms of building and maintaining relationships? I think it did for most. Like, so from when he passed up until I would say my early 30s, I had an unhealthy approach to relationships. It was more, it was such an unattached style. And I think the last few years now, I'm not, I'll never be over him. I think I always reference like, that young love to everything now, but now my, I'm open now to love again. I'm open to the attachment, knowing that that's the risk you take for love. Like you may lose, you know, you may lose someone, but chances are you won't. And um, so I, I definitely am open to love now and I'm healing more, but those first few decades, I know that sounds like a long time. I just couldn't wrap my head around attaching to somebody Um, But I I do believe that like therapy helped and faith helped. Like I lost my faith for a long time too. Um, But getting back to it kind of has given me peace over the last few years because I've come to accept that this is the process of life. People come into your life. You should enjoy that love and that relationship no matter how long or short it's going to last. That's part of life. Loss is a part of life. Um, and maybe he's in a better place. I have to believe that. And so, and, and I feel like he's with me all the time. And so those are things that have kind of, um, not given me the strength to get over, but like get through it. So like also, was there any moments that you can recollect where 
how you channeled your like what avenue did you channel your pain in so was it like mm-hmm. did you channel like some people when they go through a traumatic loss or a traumatic circumstance they channel their energy into like something toxic or negative or sometimes people just use that as their anchor of strength and they like transition over into something really positive so yeah. like what direction did you go through in that stage yeah i wish i would have taken the positive route um i just kind of like gave up on life. I didn't care about anything. I didn't really build a future. Like I didn't look forward to the future or plan a future. I just took it day by day. I did a lot of um, partying, but toxically, like I would meet guys all the time and then just hook up with them. And then like, never call, like never answer their call again. Like it, it was like an assembly line and it was super bad, but it was just filling that void. Um, And then just like drinking a lot, which like if you're drunk you're not really you don't really care about anything Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. so I think I took the easy way out but that was the only way I knew how and I wasn't mature enough I wasn't in I hadn't grown into my own like woman brain to be like there's other ways to deal with grief instead of just like ruining your life and it's funny because um as much as I know this story like like yesterday even sitting here today when it's re-explained, I feel like in life, a lot of people just look at you. And I'm not saying that you should hook to something as a crutch, but sometimes people just see you as this vessel that walks around and just dust it off and keep on going. But when you explain that again and people see, they can really have an understanding instead of like, you know, we all make jokes about serial data and whatever about you. But at the end of the day, it came from a place that it just one, the way you dealt with something just kept growing and growing and growing through the years until it's like now you just don't know how to undo how you how you coped with something so huge and significant at such a young age of your life. So it's like, you're sitting here now and you're listening. You're like, wow. You know, like all those dots connected to the adult 39 version of you. Yeah. And like you, yeah. Like when you said snowballed, that's exactly what happened. Cause like, I'll look back on the last two decades and I'll be like, it wasn't just me making a series of bad choices. It was like the first choice like unhealthy choice that I made after he passed caused me to fall into another unhealthy, like everything just accumulated because one direct, one bad choice or one direction put me into the hole of another one. Mm -hmm. So, um, and then it just became like routine. Like I thought my normal was normal. And then I realized like, this isn't normal. So, um, I'm in a better place now and I'm day by like, it's, it's getting, it's getting better for sure. Mm -hmm. And I'm definitely in a healthier place. Like there's so many other ways to deal with things than to just fall apart. But I think sometimes you need to fall apart, like, or otherwise you're going to burst at the seams. Mm -hmm. And sometimes something inside of you, when you try to fix something from the outside in, instead of falling apart and fixing it from the inside out, it, it doesn't really fix long-term. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? So saying you have to break apart, it's like trying to keep patching something that's broken instead of just like tearing the whole thing down and rebuilding it. Right. Exactly. Like demolition the entire, the entire house and rebuild it. Rebuild. Yeah. Like imagine you had a wall, like, okay, I'm infamous for putting things up 
being impatient and not getting the leveler. So if you take down any picture in my house, you will see 19 holes behind each picture because (laughs) I just kept eyeballing it because I didn't have the patience to just do it right the first time. And it's like, if you patched each hole on the wall, sometimes it's like, you better just make, like take a new sheet of drywall and start fresh because you're going to have this wall. But if you look in the light, sometimes where the patchwork is, when the light shines on it, you can see the imperfections. Right. Well said. Well said. Another quote from me. (laughs) (laughs) So now to Pam. So yeah, this one, this one, I vividly, I vividly, is that a word? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I really remember. I really remember that one. Um, Like, it's on it's weird because i don't think i don't think i ever mentioned this to anybody because i'm very i'm very closed off and very private in certain situations but that situation affected me like a lot simply because of the fact i was actually placed on medication for anxiety because i thought i thought my house was being haunted at one point too and i couldn't like it was so weird that I would like be screaming in my garage, begging my friend to come and begging my parents to stop and return and come back because it was just too eerie. And they put oh, me wow. on um, a cocktail of medications. I but didn't I never know that. that. I never said that. Yeah, I never said it. But um, it was a really, yeah, it was a really eerie, weird experience. So I could only imagine how mm. it was for you, Pam. So why don't you just run everybody through it? So it was 2002. Um, 2002. Yeah. I, so high school sweetheart, we had been together since I, I think we started talking like end of grade seven. Um, so it was my last year. Well, I actually didn't even know I was in high school because the trauma, I actually forgot so much, but apparently I was in my last year of high school. He was in his first year at, um, Humber college. And it's funny because so many little things I remember, that week. So I had dreamt up a bunch of crazy stuff we could talk about in another episode. But that week, he was trying out for the basketball team at Humber College. And he said to me, "Um, I don't think I'm going to be on the basketball team this year. And I said, no, no, but like, you're so good. Why wouldn't you make it? He goes, I don't think it has anything to do with my ability. I just don't think I'll be playing on this team this year. And it was really weird for him to say that because flash forward. So every night he had this thing, he worked at Montana's highway 10 in Eglinton. I lived five minutes from there. And then he would pass my house, beep his horn, wake me up. I'd sneak out of the house, get in my car, drive to his house, sleep over, wake up 6am and sneak back home. And no, none of our parents knew what was happening. So I was known for getting tired. People called it narcolepsy, but I don't think the narcolepsy so really happened until after this, but this one night he came, it was uh, September 16th and uh, he came to my house. He beeped the horn. I just couldn't get out of bed. Like I was this, this like exhaustion was on my body, like seven elephants and he beeped the horn and I was like, I just can't do it. And honestly, I would say that every night, but he would just be like, come on, come on, get out of bed. Let's go. So he was bugging, bugging. I came down to the driveway and I remember standing there, but my eye, like my eyelids would not open. Like they were glued. And funny enough, he was like, okay, don't worry about it. I have some studying to do anyways. I'll see you tomorrow. 
And it's weird because he was usually so persistent, but that night he was like, it's okay, go inside. And so um, that morning I woke up and um, I saw all these calls coming into my phone block number. So I answered the phone and um, the first voice was like asking, is this Pamela Facey? I said, yes. They're like, oh, Alex has been in an accident. We need you to come to the hospital. And I started to freak out, but I thought, okay, who's playing this sick joke on me? So I hung up. Then I get another call and it's from his sister-in-law. And uh, she says to me, I need you to, are you, are you okay? I need you to come to the hospital, whatever. So then I'm like, whoa. And then the police followed up again and told me to come make sure I don't drive alone um, and come to the hospital. So now I'm a bit freaked out driving to Credit Valley and keep in mind a week prior to this, I had a dream of him. Like he died blood everywhere. I woke up. My, my bed was a puddle. And when I called him really freaked him out about it. So now again, flash forward, I'm driving to the hospital and um, I see all of his family outside just staring at me drive. It's like the car went in slow motion and I'm like, what the hell is everybody staring at me about? Like, how bad was this accident? You hear our accident. I thought he had a car accident on his way home from my house. So I go in. Everybody's like, hey, Pam, acting really strange, crying, bloodshot eyes. Keep in mind, again, I'm like, I think 17, um, 18, maybe 17. So I get in. They take me to this claustrophobic room with a tiny window in the door two police officers and all of his family it's called the quiet room in the hospital and they're like so uh yeah he had an accident last night and um yeah he just like there was nothing we could do and I was like what are you talking about like where is he like how do I see they're like well you know they just took so damn long to get to the point like so finally they just say yeah he he didn't make it I'm sorry and I'm looking at the family, they're all breaking down. And I'm like, it wasn't given to me blunt enough. Like he didn't make it where he didn't make it home, not knowing it like life didn't make it. Because at that point, again, in my life, I'm at an age where I don't really think I know anybody who died outside of my grandfather. And that was from lung cancer or a stroke. So, yeah. And I think that's like, that's the main thing that where I kind of repeat, even with Dan's story that like at that age, yeah. Even for myself, like, honestly, I didn't know anybody that died. You yeah. didn't know anybody, really. No. no. Like, yeah, you had your grandparents, but I, like, I didn't even know my grandparents. So I, like, yeah. that, was, that was weird. Like, if it's weird for the people outside of the situation, I could only imagine what it was mm-hmm. like for you. Yeah, and you're just in this room. So, like, you feel like your body's floating. Like, I don't know if anybody's had that feeling, but, like, when somebody is telling you something like your head is expanding, your body feels like it's floating. Like you don't even feel like it's real. So anyways, they take me to a room now where they have him on a bed, lifeless, a blanket over him. And they're like, do you want any last moments? Again, I'm like, what the fuck is going on? They take me to this room. His body's like ice. I see him there. His skin is taunt, like gaunt, whatever, blue, frozen lip like pale just laying there and i'm 17 again staring at this body that can't even move and 
I don't even think like in that moment, it took a, it took a minute for even tears to come out because it just is like, you're just like, wake me up, wake me up, wake me up, wake me up. You close your eyes. Like, okay, somebody just wake me up, please. And I think I just like lost it. Like I lost it from that point. And so finally to go back, like so much happened from there, but what happened was he had, they, they call it a night terror. So he woke up in his sleep. He's growling. Um, his, his aunt comes by the room, sees his face. Cause he's like yelling for his mom at the same time. So after he like apparently jets out of the room, goes for his mom and like just series of events happen to the point where his, his mom couldn't understand what's happening. She ran out of the house to get help he tries to chase after her all in the same time he's sleeping. Like he's not aware of his body. Uh, he jumps down from the first step to the last step, like Superman. One step lands, goes to the neighbor's house to try to get his mom's attention. Cause he's yelling for his mom while having this episode. And he punches through the neighbor's glass door, trying to open it, severs the major artery in his arm and runs back to his room, which at that point, it's almost like you're in this nightmare that you're walking through. So you're going back to bed. And the artery he hit apparently took 60 seconds or less to bleed out. And that was it. And again, when somebody explains this story to you at 17, while you're looking at somebody you just spent years since you were just turned 13, or I, th- I don't even remember, it was so young you're like, what? Because like, there's no explanation. There's no, like there was a car accident or like, you know, as much as an explanation for Danielle, a shot, it's still like, there's zero explanation. Like nothing can make sense of why he died. The toxicology came back clean. There was nothing, no drugs, no nothing, just gone, poof, like dead. So that was hard. Like I was young, the family, because I guess like me and him were very close, obviously, you know, like, little puppy love there but the family relied on me to help plan the funeral to help plan everything and while I'm just trying to grieve I'm here planning where a body should go and who should speak and what church should it be the catholic church should it be the seven day adventist church where his mom goes like all these decisions that I'm making in the time but I can't even be a 17 year old girl to grieve through that process so it was rough I don't think I showered for like seven days. I think your your mind is just like you can't even process anything that you're going through. But um, I definitely made some poor decisions after that. I I went from you know living with his mom for a year in the house that he died to then living on my own for a year to then just going buck wild, partying, drinking meeting random guys, hooking up all um, just because, you know, you're just, you're trying to understand and process what happened to you two, three years ago. And everybody, every minute is like, are you okay? Okay. You're going to be fine. And it's almost like you don't want them to worry. So you just say, yeah, yeah, I'm okay. I'm okay. But you're not. And that's one of the things too. That's one of the things where I was listening to something earlier today. And if you notice your patterns, like you know, you lived with a mom, then you lived on your own, then you transitioned and did something else. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people don't understand. And also, too, it kind of ties back to like when they were talking about, you know, 
children, like if they're crying or they're upset, we kind of like quickly hush them and make them stop without mm-hmm. having them to be still and actually feel the emotion and embrace the emotion and go and walk through that feeling. Yeah. So it's like, in a sense, like people want to know, like, okay, how do I heal? Do I do this? Do I do that? Let me do this. Let me keep busy. Let me do that. But what you need to really do at that moment is to be present and actually to feel and embrace every single emotion that's coming at you and hitting at you at that moment. And that kind of opens up your ability to be vulnerable and to feel pain. Because if you feel the pain, then you know how to go through the process and walk through healing. And I think the similarities between the both of you guys and your situations was it was more, but then again, you're young too. And I like you never really know this stuff until older in your life when you get older, but it's something that, you know, you just have to be present and just feel every single ounce and moment of every feeling and every emotion at that time. And it's funny because again, it's like you're healing through parental controls, right? So like my mom and I always say Danielle's mom should have been my mom and my mom should have been Danielle's mom based off of their approaches to life. And I think even different stages of our lives, like I'm more to my aunt Helen at this point now, or, or like just stages, my mom was free, exactly, whatever it was. What do you, exactly. Do you mean like, like that? my aunt is mom. very um, like babble brain, like, OCD mixed with like she gets worked up my mom was free spirit loves everybody like hippie so it's like we had opposite moms but at the same time when my aunt was more rigid at the end my mom just let me fly down to Jamaica to go to Danielle's boyfriend's funeral and I was like what was I 16 15 15 or something in Jamaica going to help represent my cousin so that they I mean, could see I, a piece I wouldn't, of her. I didn't want to go the way I was feeling. There's no way I wanted to be in a different country with just not. Uh, there's no way in my mind yeah. space I would want to be there without. No. But again, that's me. I went to live with a mom. I went to live with a mom in a house. My boyfriend died. That is no way healthy for me. But I was doing it to help other people. So like I was like, OK, well, if Dan can't go, OK, then OK, then I guess I'll go. But like not realizing like how much trauma you're going to carry from those situations. And that whole trip is a whole other podcast story, but what you're going to feel going forward in your life. So it's like, we had these parental controls where as a mom, you just want your daughter to be okay. You feel for them, but you want them to be okay. But in the, in the state of making your daughter feel okay, you're not allowing her, her to feel that she's not okay. So like, that that's huge. And that's why when we wake up at 35, 36, 37, we're like, holy shit, did I really grieve that? Or like now you're going through all these like one night stands and you're like, shoot, that's because I, I was too young to even realize. Or like my mom just didn't want this to be too hard on me. So I didn't really get to fully understand what I was going through at that age because we were under our parental like guidance, you know, like People didn't believe in therapy back then either. It was like, you don't need a therapist. You're fine. Yeah. And I think we mistaken as human beings that we're, we're, we're more resilient than we, than we think we are. Mm -hmm. We're, you know, we have the ability to recover um, much, much more than, than we give ourselves credit for. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, we're here today. Me and Dan still sometimes laugh not in a laugh laugh but laugh because we're just like 
what are the odds two cousins couple years apart deal with something pretty much the same and then we just basically had to go through life dealing with it the best we knew how and now even at this point we're like holy cow oh my god are we just feeling it holy it's like it was in a box packed in the basement and we just opened the box poof holy it's real again wow like again hearing danielle talk about it today it's like People, we all look at each other as adults, like, okay, but you're an adult, like get over it. But like, sometimes you're just like, no, I wasn't over it. And I don't want to be over it right now. And I want to cry. And I want to think about it. And like, if you don't want me to, then F you like, peace out, get out of here. But I think that happening at an early age also really helps to become who I am today, because now I don't take life for granted. Like you, you don't control your last breath. So, I mean, you have ways to help, but you don't control it. Like literally you don't control if a car goes out of control, you don't control the airline, you don't control COVID. Like if your last breath is coming, you should really, really like, it sounds cliche, but really live each day. Like it's your last, tell people you love them, speak your mind, eat what you want to eat to an extent, but like just really see that you being here and waking up every day is a huge blessing. So the both of you now are adults and let's say you're looking at your, your past selves. So for each one of you guys, what would you, what would you tell your former self? Like what advice would you give during this circumstance or, or if there's anything that you would have done differently? Um, I think people grieve differently. So, I mean, I would tell people there's no one way to grieve. So don't think that if you're not crying enough, it means you don't care or that if you're crying too much, it's because you're weak or, or, you know, you shouldn't be, you need to get it together ASAP. So I think just go at your own pace, do what feels good. And there's no definition of grieving. However, um, looking back now, I would say also, I don't think it's healthy to live in the past for too, too long, like sit there for a bit and reminisce, but never, like I'm not, never get over it. Cause you'll never get over a loss, but I'm saying you have to move forward while still loving and remembering and honoring that person. But it's okay to move forward with your life too. Cause you're still alive. Like that's okay. And I lived in the past for too long. Like just, I couldn't move forward. Cause I would just think about the past too much. And, um, I would always want to recreate the past. So it's like um, how I had it with him. If it's like, can't be like that with anyone else, like just keep it moving. So I would say, don't feel guilty for still living your best life. You can still love and grieve and miss someone, but still move on with your life. I think people feel guilty too sometimes when they're grieving. Um, Like, in many different ways, like they're, they're feeling too happy too soon, or they're, they're moving on too soon, but it's just, it's whatever feels good and works for you. There's no like straight path to grieving and to moving forward. Yeah. If I had to, um, I think the biggest takeaway would be if I went back now would just, um, in those moments and in life in general, not even to do with just the situation, when I'm not feeling something and when I'm feeling a way, whatever I'm feeling, own it 
and be confident to let the people around me know this is how I'm feeling right now. It has nothing to do with you, but I need to feel it. And just know that in life, anything that you want um, to like, even out of any relationship, be very vocal about it. Because again, going through that, my needs I put on the side to make sure everybody else was okay and to make sure nobody else worried about me. And it it didn't do anything for me while I was going through that looking back. As much as I don't regret everything because it brought me to who I am now, I could just go it with a, a greater go through it with a greater understanding. Awesome points, ladies. So um I hope that you guys really enjoyed this message today. And um, you guys will have walked away with something. And you know what? Um, I think the central point, I guess we could collectively agree on, is that grieving comes in different forms. And um, there's no right way or wrong way to grieve. It's whatever works for you the best. And also be okay with feeling the emotions and going through the process. And But don't don't live in it for a long period of time. And, you know, you will get through it. You will get through it. And there is always a light at the end of the tunnel. Mm -hmm. So we hope that you guys enjoyed that. And uh, we can't wait to sit and talk with you guys next week in the hot seat. Sheer Therapy Podcast. Again, if you are not following us yet, Go to um, Share Therapy on Instagram if you want a little bit more of the visuals, see a little bit of our quirky sides. But we will see you guys next week. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of The Hot Seat, a Share Therapy podcast. We hope you enjoyed yourself and can't wait to be with you again next week. If you've taken anything away from this today, it's to live, love, forgive, have faith, and always have a glass of wine and your girls. We can't wait to be with you all again next week. See you soon.